0: up or scroll on your uh, phone. Um, I won't bother telling you a page number because by the looks of it, we've all got different ones. Um, And then uh, we'll we'll all end up in all sorts of places. Uh, But friends, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Thank you um, so much for housing an Anglican uh, in an independent church. It's a real joy on a number of levels, Um, not one to come and see the people uh, that I've been praying for for the last eight years. Um, as uh, Rich and I and others have been praying together, uh, we always pay for the people of little Paxton, not quite knowing who you are or what you're like. And now we get to see. Um, but equally a joy uh, to see uh, Rich. Um, Rich is um, he's like the wise older brother of our prayer. Well, he's almost like the wise grandfather in some ways, um, but that may be giving away my age and his age uh, retrospectively. But we're going to come to God's word together, and thank you for letting me intersect your series on Isaiah uh, with something a little bit different. I hope as um, we come to John 17, it may just complement some of what you've been looking at, and may just give us a moment to pause, to stop, and to think. So let's do that right now as we come to God's Word. Just a moment to pause, to stop. Let all the busyness of life be our hearts to hear. Loving Father, we thank you that you are God who speaks by the power of your Spirit. You speak to show us the gift of your Son. And Father, even with these perhaps familiar words, we pray that you would breathe new life, you would shine new light, you would help us to see with fresh eyes the wonder it is to have Jesus as our Saviour. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. I wonder if there's been a moment previously that you would describe as... uh, uh, one of almost perfection uh, it may be um, teachers a well earned holiday it may be parents those moments where you actually had a whole night of sleep uh, last summer i got the privilege of a um, six week a uh, which we saved up and took the family off to crete and there was a moment where the kids weren't killing each other Uh, where the sand was um, uh, over my feet and the sea was rolling in, the sun was setting, and I was on my fourth pina colada. Yes, they were very weak. That moment of just absolute joy that you kind of wanted to end, that if I close my eyes and think, I'm back there and my face is smiling. Uh, Let me give you another moment of joy, perhaps at the farther end of the spectrum. Uh, It was um, a a little while back. Nathaniel, who's now 12, was only six months' time, and Sarah, my wife, was in hospital with suspected meningitis. At the same time as that, I I had torn the ligaments in my leg and I was hopping around awaiting surgery. Nathaniel, only six months old, not having his mum, had to have formula milk and was puking up all over me. How on earth, you say, did you have joy? Well, even in the midst of that time, There was joy to behold. Yeah, it was really joyful when the family arrived en masse to look after Nathaniel and managed to find down the McDonald's milkshake of kind of formula milk that made him uh, not throw up. Yeah, there was joy when the medics came and told us that what they thought was brain tumours was just Sarah's unique head. Yes, there was joy when friends arrived each night with a new meal and a hoover and a duster to clean up where I couldn't do anything. Yeah, there was joy of working out how it's possible to pour cornflakes whilst holding a baby, whilst hopping. But the joy went even deeper than that. Of knowing in those moments where you thought, is this the end of Sarah? How will we survive? Is seemingly the world was falling down around me that I had a saviour who loved me and all that mattered for Sarah and I was that we were his forever. There was a deep joy. A deep joy also held by my friend Annie, who after years of waiting to get married, finally married a man, but on her wedding day discovered a lump on her leg. A lump on her leg that two weeks later, returning from honeymoon, was found to be stage four cancer. Joy is different to happiness, isn't it? that we used to have as a kid, a frisbee that said, smile, Jesus loves you. And let me tell you, it never worked when you hit the lady on the beach. She didn't smile. But joy is that truth on that frisbee, that Jesus loves you. It, it's different to happiness, isn't it? You know, we experience happiness, Rich. I know experiences happiness when the bread comes out of the oven and it looks good. I experience um, happiness as I finish off the fourth helping of trifle and apple crumble. In fact, even some companies now have a chief happiness officer, a CHO, believe it or not. I don't know whether Kingfisher should employ one of those rich or or not. Their job is to make sure that the workers' welfare is well looked after and they're happy. The trouble is we know that the trifle will end. The bread will run out. The holiday will come and go. But joy is different. That's because... Joy is even defined by the dictionary as the source of happiness and pleasure. It's right at its essence. And whether you are a happy or not kind of person, all of us are on a search for joy. All of us are looking in different places. Let me take you back to the Christmas holiday when you completed the puzzle you'd started and your little face at finishing it or the worker at clearing their to-do list, or when we chase after the new job, the new career, when we spend time with family and friends, when we get given the uh, three laps around the car track as an experience for our holiday, or or the murder mystery thing. You and I are on the hunt for joy. Joy. But the thing is, as people hunt for joy, as we look for it, we're going to see it's only found in one place. There is only one genuine source, and that is in a person, in Jesus. The story is told of a conference of, uh, uh, of ministers. Um, I think it was Presbyterian, Rich, so we're, we're both safe here. And uh, they were all given helium balloons on the way in. And the leader of the conference said to them, when you feel joy in your heart, release your balloon. How many do you think were left by the end of the conference out of a 1,000 people? 330 were still stood with their balloons holding in their arms. They didn't even feel in their hearts during that time an opportunity to say that they had joy. But yet... Another man, Handel, Frederick, George Frederick Handel, the man that wrote The Messiah, he wrote it in the midst of facing imprisonment for outstanding bills. He, he'd keep writing even in the midst of those challenges. And he later credited the completion of his work with one ingredient, that of joy. He was quoted as saying he felt as if his heart would burst with joy at what he was hearing in his mind. If you've ever listened to the music, you can almost picture him doing just that, as it reaches its crescendo and great hallelujah chorus. But you and I don't have to go to a piece of music. We can have that same heart-bursting joy that he had, whether we're a teenager or whether we're 406. Why? Because of Jesus. A full joy. Yes, not a perfect joy. A perfect joy will be seeing him face to face and him wiping every tear from our eyes in the new heavens and the new earth. But a full joy. Which, by the way, is not a British joy. A British joy says that, which I'm learning in Little Paxton probably isn't the case, but the traffic lights are all green on the way here. That's a British joy. Or that um, the forecast was for slightly overcast and um, it's slightly sunny now. No, our joy can be full, heart-bursting, life-changing. And some of those things that may kind of affect our joy depends on how we see God and the circumstances we're in. If we think of God as a nasty rule-keeper who is to be survived, well, then we're not really going to have much joy in him. Equally, if we just look at all that's going on in the life around us, as we look at even the state of the church in the Church of England, or even the state of Nigeria with Christians being killed with greater frequency than any other disease or famine that's going on, our joy could seemingly be depleted. But God longs for us, we're going to see, to have full joy, even in John 17 in a world that hates Christians even in circumstances that are beyond our control, even in sickness, even when we're fed up and full to the back teeth of all that church has to offer. A joy that's found in Jesus. So today, whether you're a Christian or not, might these words of John 17 be a balm to your soul? Because if you're not a Christian, whatever your hunt for joy is rooting out, Perhaps being led here today might find you the reason of what you're looking for. Because here's the big thing we're going to see of John 17. is that Jesus saved you to have complete joy in him. He saved you to have complete joy in him. Uh, Join with me at verse 1. Because here's a prayer that Jesus prays. We're taken into a very intimate relationship here, aren't we? Between Jesus and his heavenly father in true John-like ways. It's very confusing about I'm in him, and he's in me, and they're in there, and they're all together. It all gets a bit of a mess, but it's a relational mess. That's the point. This is all about a relationship of father to son and his people intertwined in it. And the very heart of these verses comes in verse 13. Have a look with me. I've got the NIV version in front of me. Apologies if you've got slightly different. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of my joy. The full measure of my joy. This is a prayer, look back verse 1, where he prays that he would be glorified. He longs that God's glory would be shown. And then verse 13, how? As they have the full measure Of joy within them. God's glory is shown as his people, literally like an all you can eat buffet, feast on the joy they have in him. Now, if we've been a Christian for any length of time, we know this, right, don't we? You know, we we look back, we sing great songs like See What a Morning, we look back at the cross and the resurrection, we know what Jesus has done. But yet, sometimes it doesn't quite have joy for today. It's a a little bit like me getting out Sarah's and my wedding album. We've been married 15 years this year. And as I look back, I, I realize that once upon a time I did have hair and was slightly thinner. But as I look back and I see where Sarah and I, our marriage began, I could have joy at that moment, the joy we had then. But you'd say I was absolutely bonkers, and quite rightly so, and neglectful, if all my joy in my marriage came from looking at that wedding album. My, my joy comes of celebrating what, the love I have for Sarah today. And sometimes we do that with Jesus, don't we? In, in the past, he's brought us into a relationship. We look at the wedding album, that's brilliant, that's joyful. But sometimes we forget the joy we can have today, the relationship we have with him. Theologically speaking, we remember our union, the way we've been united to Jesus, but we neglect and forget our communion, not the bread and the wine communion, but our relationship with Him. We can just be people of the past rather than thinking actually what we have today. That doesn't mean we forget the past because without being married to Sarah, without the ring on my finger, I would not be able to enjoy the depths of the marriage I have with her today. Without the cross and resurrection, you and I would not have the means to have this full joy. But a relationship with Jesus, this joy, is one not just of looking back, but of enjoying it today. At last summer, when I was on a sabbatical, Sarah let me have three weeks away on my own. I wholeheartedly commend it. If you have children and you have a loving wife or husband that will let you go, I found myself in Cornwall. It was brilliant, but it was terrifying. For the first time in 12 years in my Christian life, all activities to do with church stopped. and I found myself at a loose end. Was this the extent of my relationship with Jesus? All the activities gone, all the hassles for, can I just have a moment, please, pastor, were done away with? Where was Jesus? In that moment, I realized I'd neglected my communion, my relationship with him, the full joy I'd had. Activity had swarmed in. So what is this full joy that Jesus wants us to know? Well, we're going to see three ways, three ways that he can help us see this full joy. Uh, Firstly, verses 1 to 8, the joy of knowing the God of grace for all eternity. Because look at verse 2, Jesus has come with a mission, one mission. Verse two: For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life. That's Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that, don't we? That's what he's come to do. It's a bit like um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He's been come to give out golden tickets. Well, no, because look, look what verse eternal life is. Verse three: Now this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent well when i was 15 years old i decided that i did believe in jesus that he had forgiven me and i was looking forward to heaven i was like charlie taking my uh, golden ticket out of the wrapper i was then and i had to wait until death or a bus came along until i was taken off to heaven it wasn't until i was 22 that i realized these words of verse 3 if this is eternal life, that they may know you now. Beginning whenever it was when I was 22 years old. Continuing through life to all eternity. See, eternal life has begun amidst the challenges of this world. Whilst not perfect, we have the joy of knowing this Lord's We don't see him yet face to face, but we know him as he's revealed himself by his son through his spirit. And this Jesus is one who, verse 2, has been given all authority over the world. This who's been given works to do. Who, Verse 6, Jesus has given to, um, uh, gave Jesus the people. And verse 7, Jesus gives them everything. Verse 8, he gives them the words. Verse 8, the Father sends Jesus. Do you see this God that we come to know? The repeated word? He gave, he gives, he sent. He's a God of grace. That's the God that we come to know in Jesus, a God of grace. One who endlessly keeps on giving even in the deepest, darkest valley. It's a grace that goes deep within us. It's a grace that we do not deserve. It's a grace of the gift of a son who would not spare death for us. Is that the God of grace that you're enjoying today, dear friends? Or are you enjoying the God of Santa Claus? You know, who's making a list. And checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Better make sure I'm at church on time. Or are you enjoying the God of grace? Who takes your sins as far as the east is from the west? Who today loves you no matter what you do? You can't do anything anything better today to make him love you any more, nor can you do anything worse to make him love you any least. You have moments of just enjoying him without an agenda. Without a formal quiet time. Moments just where you're doing other things, where he's allowed in. Because that's the God of grace that we have been brought to know. Not just for times like these, not just for the allotted times of quiet times and home groups, but for all times. To have joy in him. Of knowing this God of grace. But secondly, this joy is not just a joy knowing the God of grace; it's a joy that survives a world of evil. Because from verse nine to verse sixteen, we get this really long prayer, uh, really long prayer, where he actually only prays really two things. He prays, uh, verse sixteen, uh, for them to be protected. Uh, sorry, verse ten, for them to be protected. He, um, sorry, verse 11, uh, to be protected. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. Why does Jesus need to pray this prayer? Uh, well, verse 12, look, he's, whilst I was with them, I protected them. But he's about to go back to his heavenly Father. You know, if, if you had the bodyguard, and now the bodyguard's gone, you, you've got no security. You need to protect them. He, he's no longer there. But who do they need protecting from? Look, verse fourteen: I have given them your word, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. The world hates them. Friend, the world hates us if we follow Jesus. No matter how nice you are, no matter what role in society you have, the world hates us because it's hated jesus and it's not just the world look verse 15 they've got a great commander my prayer is not that you take them at the world but that you protect them from the evil one behind a world that hates god's people is satan who hates god friends we know the reality don't we of living in a world where christians are hated As I mentioned, Nigeria, with the fastest growing death rate, all because people follow Jesus. Where people will be overlooked for jobs, where families will disown other people, all because they have Jesus. Where people, you invite them to come along and people look at you like you've just poked them in the eye. And the risk is not just that we'll give up, but... Look at verse 11. The risk is, um, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Protect them by their name. Protect um, them by the power of your name, the name uh, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays that they would be protected to be one, because the risk is that they would be many. Scattered, disunited, divided. What Jesus has brought together, this persecution, this tough time, would scatter them apart. I don't know if you realize quite how brilliantly cosmic your uh, gatherings are. But as you gather on a Sunday, as you demonstrate the oneness, you are fulfilling this prayer of Jesus. That you are protected from being from the evil one, protected from the world that hates you, so that you might be divided. It's a great pleasure of of gathering together, but there's a great necessity of gathering together. So often as a pastor, I've watched as people go through the hardest times or the toughest times, and what happens? They start to give up meeting with God's people. Well, they're just too tired on a Sunday morning. They've just got too much on. It's just too hard work. And what happens? Well, then like a sliding down a slippery slope, they just gently run the risk of either falling away from following Jesus or just getting discouraged. But Jesus prays that they would be united. They'd be kept together like a pack. You see, there's a joy in trusting God to get you through, even in a world that's full of evil, even in a world where all seems to be going wrong. There can be a joy even in sadness. It may even be shown through his people. It may even be as you pray that prayer for yourself, Lord, please protect me, as Jesus himself longed that we be protected. You see, happiness will tell you that you can only have it in the good moments. A joy like this means that you can have it even through tears. Perhaps today, friends, for whatever reason, health, situation, suffering, others, evil in the world around you, you don't feel in a place of joy. But Jesus longs that you would still have this full joy. Perhaps as you gather, perhaps you need the encouragement of brothers and sisters. Perhaps you, you need to talk to somebody to help you in the midst of it. Because joy can be found even in the darkest valley. Because Jesus walked that darkest valley. For you and for I. You see, it's a joy that survives a world of evil. But then lastly, it's a joy that lives for him in the world. Uh, Because in these last few verses, 17 to 19, um, you get Jesus, pray, sanctify them by your truth. Literally, set them apart. Make them holy. They're to be different. We know that the world hates them. They're they're to be those that are set apart. How are they going to be set apart? By your word. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? He's just told you that the world hates you. And now Jesus is sending you out. Well, he's sending us out even with a joy. A joy like his. A joy to live for him wherever you are. Because as he's going to go on to say in the coming chapters, they have another advocate, another counselor with them who will bring Jesus into their very hearts and minds. So that even though they literally walk away from him, they're never apart from him. Able to live for him wherever and however and wherever they go. Those that are called to be different. And that place of joy is found in his word. It's, it's a nourishment when we're sent out. You know, we, we take it for granted, don't we? You stand up here and, and have a talk from the, from the Bible. You go to a home group and you look at the Bible together. But then we go into the world and kind of Bible shut, done. But actually, as God's truth is opened up, even at my computer desk, I'm just reminded of what Jesus has called me to be, set apart, sanctified, to, to live for him in my workplace. As I'm driving down the road through a 30 at 43, and the verse just underneath the dashboard reminds me that I'm set apart and holy. Perhaps I'll just slow down. To live for him. The joy of having him with us. That God comes with you into every nook and cranny of your life. That's communion of knowing that he's with you on the journey of Monday to saturday you see what you think of god will deeply affect your joy jesus longs that you know him do you see what he's like yeah he's a realist he knows what the world is like yes he has high demands he longs that you would be set apart and to live for him but he's a god who's with you every step of the way that delights in you that his joy verse 13 you would have the full measure of within you. God's aim is that you experience joy even when you're in the toughest times, even when you're tempted, even when you're enduring um, suffering, even when you're serving him, we would have joy. C.S. Lewis once wrote that we're often half-hearted creatures. We fall around with drink, sex, ambition, where infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Friends, do you today need to see the holiday at the sea that's offered? The sandcastles that you can play in, even in the places that you may know that he's with you? Rather than settle for the mud pies that maybe you're grasping at whether it's a few too many glasses of wine, whether it's too much food, whether it's the button that's hovering to click on things that you shouldn't really click on, whether the relationship that you want to go and pursue that you shouldn't pursue, where do you need to turn away from things to come back to the Lord and know total joy in Him? Because when we have this joy in Him, dear friends, imagine what it does to a church. Imagine what it does to a church where... People will walk through the door and go, whoa, there's something a bit different about this lot. And it's not the lighting nor the music. Where people are longing to meet together, where they're longing to spur one another on together, where they're longing that no one will be disunited or divided because of all the evil that's going on in the world, where there be a joy that radiates. And so perhaps for us this week, how might you start Start simply. Go start a conversation with your heavenly father this week in a place that perhaps you haven't really let him into or a place that you've been before, but just go and start it with no agenda. Go ask your loving father to show you the wonders and gifts of the son. Open up his word and pray that his spirit would bring something into your day and place and mind. you might treasure not just your union with him but your communion with him the joy you have the joy that jesus longs for you to know today in all its fullness